0: Grace, mercy, and peace are yours through the Triune God. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us, on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m., we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. A quick note up top. Our second reading is frank about violence specifically murder and sexual violence. We engage such hard stories because they are real and because no horror can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. However, past horrors still haunt our memories and our muscles, and so I invite you to extend compassion to yourself If this story is a lived experience, not simply words on a page, God bless you.
1: A reading from the letter of the Ephesians. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one Spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God, the Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. God has given his grace to each one of us measured out by the gift that is given by Christ. That's why scripture says, when God climbed up to the heights, God captured prisoners and gave gifts to the people. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ, who is the head. The whole body grows from Christ. As it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments, the body makes itself grow, in that it builds itself up with love as each one does its part. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the second scroll of Samuel. Two years later, Absalom was shearing sheep at Behezer near Ephraim, and he invited all the king's sons. Absalom approached the king and said, Your servant is shearing sheep. Would the king and his advisors please join me? But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, we shouldn't all go, or we would be a burden on you. Although Absalom urged him the king wasn't willing to go although he gave Absalom a blessing then Absalom said if you won't come then let my brother Amnon go with us why should he go with you the king asked him but Absalom urged the king until he sent Amnon and all the other princes then Absalom made a banquet fit for royalty Absalom commanded his servants be on the lookout When Amnon is happy with wine and I tell you to strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid because I myself am giving you the order. Be brave and strong men. So Absalom's servants did to Amnon just what he had commanded. Then all the princes got up, jumped onto their mules, and fled. While they were on the way, the report came to David Absalom has killed all the princes. Not one remains. The king got up, tore his garments, and lay on the ground. All his servants stood near him, their garments torn as well. But Jonabab, the son of David's son, Shemiah, said, My master shouldn't think that all the young princes have been killed. Only Amnon is dead. This has been Absalom's plan ever since the day. Amnon raped his sister, Tamar. So don't let this bother you, my master. Don't think that all the princes are dead, because only Amnon is dead, and Absalom has fled. Just then the young man on watch looked up and saw many people coming. Janabab told the king, Look, the princes are coming, just as I, your servant, said they would. But Janabab finished speaking, the princes arrived. They broke into loud crying, and the king and his servants cried hard as well. Meanwhile, Absalom had fled and gone to the king of Geshur. David mourned for his son for a long time, but Absalom, after fleeing to Geshor, stayed there for three years. Then the king's desire to go out after Absalom faded away because he had gotten over Amnon's death. The word of the Lord. Thanks be
0: So many of our sacred stories have a once upon a time quality. Once upon a time, God planted a garden. Once upon a time, a woman put her baby in a basket and set the basket in a river. Once upon a time, a shepherd boy defeated a giant. Today's reading from the second scroll of Samuel is not one of those stories. Ambush, assassination, rape, running away. These are here and now stories. They are top of the hour headlines on the radio You can hear them on the 6 o'clock news and again at 11. This tragic tale does not take place once upon a time. Quite literally so. Our reading began with the words, two years later. We've stumbled into this story mid-season, With no soapy flashbacks detailing last time on all David's children. Two years later? Two years after what? What did we miss? The king's nephew, Jonadab, can tell us. Even now, He is placating the king with a smooth tongue and a smirk. My master shouldn't think that all the young princes have been killed. Only Amnon is dead. This has been Absalom's plan ever since the day Amnon raped his sister Tamar. Jonadab knew Amnon had a target on his back but he kept silent and did nothing to prevent Absalom's revenge. But then why would he? Jonadab is the reason one brother wanted to murder the other in the first place. So go back with me two years to these words at the beginning of the 13th chapter. Sometime later, David's son Amnon fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, who was also David's son. Amnon was so obsessed over his half-sister that he made himself sick. Fell in love. That's a plot twist in any story. You were walking along, tripped, and bam, fell head first into love with the wrong person. Haven't we all done that? Falling in love with the wrong person, that was high school for me. Amnon fell in love, yes. But he made himself sick. He cultivated and nourished this impossible obsession. And why was it impossible? Not because Tamar was his half-sister. No, the story reveals Amnon's twisted logic. She was a virgin and it seemed impossible in Amnon's view to do anything to her. Not do with her, but do to her. An attitude about sexual intimacy to many men carry like a weapon passed down from father to son. Did you notice that even this episode picks up a thread from the past? Sometime later, go back and rewatch the last episode, and you'll see where Amnon learned to prey on women from his dad. David saw Bathsheba and wanted her. It didn't matter that she was married. David had power and he took what he wanted. And who was watching? His children, of course, because kids are always watching their parents, always listening. They're not dumb. Amnon took notes This is what men in power get to do. But it was Jonadab who concocted the plan. Jonadab, a very clever man. That's how we are introduced to cousin Jonadab. He is crafty and shrewd, a real snake. Why so down, prince, he hisses here's what you need to do. Lie down on your bed and pretend to be sick. When your father comes to see you, tell him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I can watch and eat from her hand. Folks, if your stomachs are turning, you're not alone. It doesn't make it any better that Tamar, unlike Bathsheba, speaks up against Amnon when he grabs a hold of her. The scroll of Samuel records how her loud Clear no made no difference. Amnon refused to listen. He was stronger than she was, and so he raped her. Perhaps the storytellers of our sacred scripture might have been tempted to gloss over this violence, this violation but they couldn't because everyone knew what happened. The whole palace heard Tamar's public cries of grief and saw her torn clothes. They heard and saw and then turned away. David knew Oh, he was furious, but he did nothing, neither comforting his violated daughter, nor punishing his vile son. To do so would mean facing his own past. And of course, Absalom knew He took his sister into his house, the walls of which she never left. For two years, two years he plotted revenge, never speaking a word to Amnon, so burning was his hatred. And then there's Jonadab, the snake who schemed with Amnon cousin jonadab clever enough to slither up to absalom and learn all about the ambush crafty enough to betray amnon if it meant self-preservation jonadab knew and king david in his sorrow never questioned why his nephew was so confident that among the princes Only Amnon was dead. Jonadab knew and did nothing. Nothing to prevent the shattering of Tamar's soul. Nothing to prevent the shedding of Amnon's blood. Jonadab throws this tragedy into stark relief for me because he knew And so do we. We know that our diabetic neighbors are dying because the pharmaceutical industry has gouged the price of life-saving insulin. We know that our sanctuary is built on the site of a scorched earth campaign against the indigenous peoples who called the shores of Lake Seneca home. And if we had any doubt, we would only need to take a five-minute walk to a historical marker celebrating General Sullivan. We know our neighborhood's open secrets about abuse and addiction hiding in plain sight. All of this knowledge makes us great candidates to live in King David's palace, where everyone knows what's really happening, but no one says anything. After all, the truth hurts, we say. And who goes out of their way to seek out hurt? The poet Adrian Rich sets the record straight. When someone who is in the habit of evading truth lying to herself or others, says, I didn't want to cause pain. Those words really mean, I didn't want to deal with the other person's pain. She does not say, I was afraid, since this would open the question of other ways of handling fear. It would open the question of what is actually feared. Or perhaps you can see yourself at Absalom's feast, pulling out a dagger to deal a deadly blow. Again, we say, the truth hurts, and sometimes we spit out the truth with venom. Perhaps you, like me, learned to sharpen words so that they would slip between the crack in another person's armor and break the skin. It's easy to do. Just look for vulnerabilities in others you despise in yourself. Silence and sharpened speech, these are at home in David's world where kingly clout has overshadowed God's foolish wisdom that power is made perfect in weakness. But human might cannot undo divine mercy. Silence and sharpened speech do not have the last word. God does, and God is calling. Live as people worthy of the call you receive from God. Paul encourages us and the Ephesian church. But before you or I sink into despair at such daunting instructions, like conduct yourselves with all humility, all humility, make an effort to preserve the unity of the spirit, let's listen again. Live as people worthy of the call, you received from God. The voice of the Spirit has already begun a song in our hearts. The Word made flesh has already died and been raised for our sake. The Holy One has already given grace to each of us grace measured out by the gift that is given in Christ, which is a generous amount of grace indeed. Oh yes, God is already calling. God is already searching. God is already reaching through the web of lies, secrets, and silences that ensnare us to place on our lips the words that will undo knots and set the world free. What other words could they be except the words of love? Taste on your tongue the warmth of such love that breathed and blessed and bled through Jesus, a love that will never abandon Tamar. Feel the weight of such love in your mouth, a love that can topple any dividing wall and make us one people. Adrian Rich wrote, when a woman tells the truth, she is creating the possibility for more truth around her. And we might say the same about speaking the truth in love, because God has already promised a new creation of possibilities. Just imagine a new heaven and a new earth where diabetic neighbors do not die, where all who love the soil and water of this corner of creation live together, and learn from each other, where our children can grow up without fear, freed from the cycles of violence. James Baldwin once wrote, the role of the artist is exactly the same as the role of the lover. If I love you, I have to make you conscious of the things you don't see. And we might say the same about speaking the truth in love, because God is still planting gardens, still rescuing refugee babies from the river, still defeating giants, if only we had the imagination to see it. But surely, Jonadab is frowning. How idealistic, he hisses. How naive to stick your neck out for the sake of a love-shaped truth. You'll forgive me, Jonadab says, if I continue to look out for number one, to save my own skin before anyone else's. Ah. Jonadab, that's where you're mistaken. The final word about human beings is not that our lives are nasty, brutish, and short. No. Listen to God's call and you will hear a mystery and a miracle. Our life is in Christ, who is the head of a body bigger than what we can conceive, All who have received God's call are part of that body, and we are joined together by ligaments of love. So, dear members of Christ's body, what truth will we speak in love? Tamar is listening, David is listening. God has given us grace and that grace is sufficient for us even in our weaknesses, especially then. Let us therefore live as people worthy of the call God has spoken into our silences. Let us share God's grace with a hurting world and always always for such grace let us give all glory and all gratitude to god the song of the psalmists the strength of the lowly sovereign and shepherd of all
1: amen